you could, when I was drafted to the New Jersey Devils, you have to like be clean shaven and haircut. That was Lou Lamarillo. That's just like the culture. It doesn't matter if you're a 35 year old vet with four kids or the 18 year old prospect rookie. This is the message we deliver. This is the belief we believe in. Look around, you're going to see multiple different faces, but eventually you're not going to double take when you see a West Indian face or uh, an East Indian face in the locker room. It's just going to be inherently taught and now we can build advocacy. So as we go out into our community or talk to the media, it's known that we all have the same message. We all have the same brand and we're all preaching the same growth internally and externally. That's kind of in a vague way what, what I'm, one of my hopes are, are doing in, in, in my new position with the Leafs. Welcome to the Heroic Minds Podcast, where we discover how to get out of our own way, unleash the full capability of our mind, become the hero of our story, and a hero for other people. From an evolutionary perspective, we've evolved to manage threatening encounters. I do everything in my ability to help them, but they make the call. We have to do it in a way that doesn't just assume that going faster is going to be the cure-all. When you suffer, and then you come out of it on the other side, you stand a little taller, your voice doesn't shake anymore, your eyes are always up. Sorry to depress you guys. Self-doubt is par for the course. It's just how you choose to deal with them, react to them, or not react to them. Uh, a little tough love goes a long way, and high expectation also goes a long way. But the more you expect of someone, the more they'll do. I have to keep moving forward. No good comes from going back. I don't need red tape. I'm not into rules. I'm not into regulation. I'm just going to do this. Welcome back to the Heroic Minds Podcast. On today's episode, we have Mark Fraser talking race and relatability. Now, the best approach to behavioral change in the inclusion space is often argued and often political. Having the conversation with Mark, however, is a breath of fresh air. It is a conversation with nothing off the table. It's constructive, honest, and most important, creates relatability. Mark spent 15 years in pro hockey, eight of those in the NHL. Those years came with being treated differently for the color of his skin and his cultural differences. Today, Mark has a lead role in Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion team. In this episode, we point out why the top-down approach may not be the best option and why the bottom-up approach is something we should look further into. We talk about the power of the minority and the majority working together toward improvement. We reference stories of significant change being made in the sporting world without any governing direction. We also dive into how people can begin creating this change in their own environments and communities without convoluted direction or regulations. To give a shout out to our supporters from day one, True Local, and no better time to support you know, local small farms than, than I think right now through this pandemic. And what True Local has done is supported those local farmers. So you go on their website, truelocal.ca, and you choose what meat and frozen vegetables do I want? Now, these frozen products are sourced from local farms, high quality, individually packaged, put in a box on dry ice, and shipped to your doorstep. That's truelocal.ca. Amazing product, amazing customer service. If you want to give them a try for the first time, use my discount code HEROICMINDS25, all capital letters, to get $25 off a regular size box and $10 off a personal size box. Already, time to hop into this powerful actionable, constructive episode. Yeah, no, I mean, growing up, obviously, I, I played I played everything growing up. Uh -huh. I think it was like 17 when I was a senior or something in high school. I think I played seven different sports that year until finally it was like, okay, I guess hockey's where I'm going with this. Uh, track or soccer probably were my next two like, likely ones, but 
Um, yeah, I, I, I was early. Well, not early. I was a late, late draft pick uh, to the Barry Colts 12th round because I was kind of always school bound. I remember wearing my Colts draft jersey. I think it was 2002 to an exam in high school, like when it came in in the mail, <laughs> just flossing it, um, being proud of that. And then anyways, yeah, get, get into a plain tier two, trying to make it to NCAA. Things just kind of fell apart real randomly with my tier two team. And uh, just in a matter of days, my coaches who kind of stepped aside, had connections to Fred Parker, who was in Kitchener at the time. And that was a sort of, you know, there's a guy, maybe one or two guys on the team that can maybe have a chance of making it. They need some rescuing. So Spotter and Freddie came and met me. I was a part-time Carleton student at the time because I was trying to get a scholarship. And um, uh, I remember I met my with my old man, went to the Westin here in Ottawa, uh, skip class, I'm pretty sure. Um, so they broke down kind of what they could do for me. Shock, I don't even know how they knew this, but shockingly, they already knew I had uh, like a high school girlfriend like uh, who was a freshman at Western. So like, you'll be an hour away from your girl. And I was like, how do you guys know this? <laughs> but uh Anyways, yeah, so then I end up in Kitchener as like an 18-year-old rookie. Um, it's the lockout season. So, you know, they're getting me with uh, tons of NHL scouts are going to be there, all that. Uh, fast forward, I ended up getting drafted third round. The next year, I replaced Mike Richards as captain. And uh, the following year after that, I turned pro and had played my first NHL game, I think, in like oh, yeah, January 06, 07 season, which was around the time where like schools were telling me like maybe we'll like think of giving you a scholarship. So, Randomly going to Kitchener like really worked. Um, that sparked, started, sparked um, a 14 year pro career. You know, I was drafted by the Devils, a few years in the minors, a couple call ups, then two and a half years up, traded to Anaheim, bounced to Toronto, uh, a couple great years in Toronto, had like my career highlight year, that lockout season with the Leafs. Um, and then from there, Edmonton and uh, naturally like many do with Lou Lamorello and the Devils I was able to find my way back there for a second tour um and that's where I ended up I guess my last NHL games were with the Devils which is kind of nice because that's again where it all started I think I spent like seven of my 14 year career with with New Jersey but anyways yeah from there just uh uh yeah a couple more years bouncing around the minors like clawing and scraping and then enjoyed Europe for a few years before I hightailed on out of there and, and uh now focusing just on my on my transition, right? Like that's such a big part of athletes. And and I was so fortunate to have a 14-year pro career, so fortunate to play, you know, a couple hundred NHL games. Um, but it's that transition that's like almost like the most scary thing, you know? So that was something I had been working on for, I had an exit strategy for a few years, you know, preparing for that inevitable day. And so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of landed on my feet now, but still trying to navigate the, the waters on, on multiple different lanes that I want to be able to touch. Cool. Cool. Now, before we move forward, then looking forward to where you are today, because it, it's so exciting. Uh, if we look back on the topic we're about to discuss, this idea of race and cultural change and, and issues in, in between, um, do you have any personal experiences and, and not necessarily saying you have to, but do you have personal experiences that you realized uh, maybe more so now looking back, yeah, there, there's some change that needs to be made from, you know, in your subjective experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, uh, a, a lot of, of experience with that. I mean, my, my history is, is uh, I'm a Canadian kid. I'm a Canadian board kid from Ottawa, you know, so naturally if I was talking to anyone outside of Canada, it'd be like, oh, you probably play hockey, right? If I'm on the phone having this conversation, it's like, you're probably a hockey player. 
But obviously, if they were to meet me face to face, they look at me and be like, you're probably not a hockey player. <laughs> you know, that's just like the life. I That's, that's just my life, um, being a visible minority. So there's definitely been a lot of lived experiences um, throughout my entire career from not so much really picking up on it until probably I was around like a mid-teen when maybe things were becoming a little bit more blatant. Um, you know, heckles from playing on, on the uh, close to the Quebec border, playing in Buckingham, Quebec, heckles or taunts from, from parents or whoever, whatever adults are at these minor league games. Um, to same thing in, in playing Kitchener when I uh, was with Kitchener, but playing Erie, um, same thing, like being in the penalty box. And I, I don't know if you remember, if the dude's still there, I think he, I think Elijah mentioned to me that the dude's still there, but the guy who sits beside the penalty box in Erie had like always like a disgusting white turned brown Budweiser jersey and <laughs> giving me the old like, you know, what are you doing? You suck, stick to playing basketball. You don't belong here, that type of that type of stuff. Even to my pro career, my, my, my second last year playing, I was in Slovakia and I signed late and I found out from the captain's once I had been there and kind of had an opportunity to actually leave to go back to my team in Finland. Um, one of the team captains told me that before they brought me in, the GM had asked them, had a meeting just with the leadership group. They were a first place team and wanted to basically see like, look, we have a potential to bring a new guy in that could help, but uh, he's a black guy. And I want to ask you guys, would that have any negative effect on our team morale right now as we're like trying to win a championship and be first place? <laughs> And I guess their answers were kind of like, no, I mean, as long as he's a good dude and he can play, we don't care. But I guess it just highlighted for me, like this far, like this is not early on. This is, I've played NHL games, like nothing against the Slovakian league, but it's probably like the eighth best, ninth best league in the world. <laughs> like it's not the elite of the elite. And I had already, my resume spoke for itself. I had a better, you know, body of work than anyone else in the league. Yet there was this intrinsic factor that was potentially prohibiting me from even getting a job. And that type of thing so late in my career, too, made me realize, like, well, how many other opportunities have potentially been missed out? I'm not, I'm not going to be, you know, I'm not going to be naive enough to say that all my hardships have been because of my, my ethnicity or my race or whatever, but at the same time, it's it would be ignorant for me to to not think that some some of it would have been because of that, mm -hmm. you know. So it's 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 strange, but that's something that yeah, I've absolutely had to deal with because my most comfortable environment was me, my job, my profession as a player, as a hockey player, as an athlete, from where I trained, from the people I hung out with, from my my the gyms, the rinks, the everything, whether that's summertime or in season, almost every single room I'm walking into, I'm the only person who looks like me for the most part. There might be the one other or two others, whatever, but just imagine that reality. Every single room you walk into in your life, for your career, for your profession, you're the only dude who looks like you. You're the only person who's representing whatever, you know, physical manifestation that is. Um, and that wasn't anything weird for me, but that's just like knowing that and acknowledging that and reflecting on that now. It's like, yeah, I mean, when I share these stories and I say that for a perspective lens for people to hear, like, yeah, imagine what that would feel like every once in a while. No matter how comfortable you're going to be, at some point you're going to tell me, like, I'm maybe not completely comfortable being myself, you know? So that's that's been a lot of my experience within the game as well, having to feel almost censored in order to, like, fit in and abide by that culture because I don't want to be like, Ooh, they don't know or get me. That's too scary. You know, this guy's got tattoos or earrings or whatever. Um, that's just not how we do things here. So there was a lot of kind of like having to hold back who you are in, in the environment you actually like want to thrive in.
that you just started to go into my next question. And I think one, one thing I've realized when we have these conversations, either other conversations I've heard of is, is this is kind of where it stops and in, okay. He's, you know, he felt uncomfortable, but you, you talked about feeling, right. You said the word feeling and I'm curious now, you, you know, both, even when you were younger, you're in that penalty box in Erie and someone says something like that to you, you know, that, that you basically is saying whatever words the individual decided to use, but basically saying, you know, you don't belong here. This is for, I, I, I think what can make such an impact is when you explain what that feels like, like what, how do you, how did you at that age then react? What was the first reaction? I'm not saying that would be the same reaction today. What is it that you're feeling? I reacted very much, uh, and and for anyone who doesn't get this reference, it's easy to look it up. But look up what Devonte Smith Pelly uh, situation, penalty box situation. It was the exact same thing uh, when he played for Washington, and they were in Chicago, and fans said the exact same thing to him. And it was a very similar reaction on my end. I I stood up. There's like you know a sliver of gap between the glass, like in the rink, and like with um, perpendicular glass, like separating the fans from you, and. I like squirted water, like at him through it. Like obviously wasn't going to hit him, but I, my reaction created enough of a scene that like ushers and security came down and people realized like something had happened. Cause I was kind of beefing back being like, you know, I don't know what I was saying back, but I was certainly standing up for myself in that sense. Um, and yeah, just recognizing the bigotry that kind of was there. I wasn't just going to kind of like let it go, I suppose. And I reacted in enough of a manner that I knew was drawing attention to it and then led to his removal. Uh, so that would that was my response then. But in a lot of these situations, I mean, the feeling of it, it's 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 hard to explain because it's a combination of feelings. It's uh, and it honestly kind of depends. I mean, there's just so many different variables on, on on what perhaps was said or who it's coming from or where you're even at emotionally. But it's like a disappointment. It's it's. Uh, not a not a fear but like a sadness it's a hurt it's uh it's an anger you know what i mean it's all at the same time because it's uh we all like to be liked we all want to be accepted we all want people to love us and that's just natural right why would you want people to not like you that's ridiculous but to realize you don't have to like me if we don't get along because maybe i'm just not your personality or whatever or my views are different and that's all fine but just straight up i'm walking down the street and because i look different what you're going to choose to not like me for like that's, I can't change that. I legitimately cannot change that. So it's a deeper rooted pain, but I also think it's something that when you're in that experience and there's a history of this, you also kind of feel, you feel like generations of pain. You know, you feel like I didn't, didn't experience slavery. I didn't experience the Jim Crow South. I didn't experience the civil war. I didn't experience these things, even the civil rights movement in the 60s. But what I'm experiencing today is kind of showing us that there's actually not a whole lot different in a lot of like the beliefs, at least foundational beliefs that that are surrounding uh, systemic racism and kind of just treatment of, of people of color in a lot of societies. So that being said, there is like a historical pain almost where it's like, uh, my dad went through this. My grandparents went through this. My, you know, family of this many, this many, this many years have gone through this. And there's almost like an inherent knowledge of that too in these situations, which is also creates more hurt because you're realizing that things haven't gotten better. Um, But yeah, the reason I ask is just the detriment that that can have and, and how, 
how small of a stimulus that is for that person. Like mm-hmm. he said five or six sentences, but when you can stop and realize the impact that those five or six sentences are having on someone and how heavily weighted those are, that realization I think is, is important to, mm-hmm. to stop someone in their tracks and say like, and, and to me, it comes back to the, the situation of using slurs, uh, homosexual slurs in sport that it, people think, oh, well, it doesn't mean anything, or it was just this little thing that I said, and we forget the weight that it carries. And for sure, we all know how, how powerful just the smallest little narrative can be, or the smallest sentence can be. And, and it, uh, what it makes me think is, uh, I, I just like hearing what the stories you just told, like that frustrates me. And I'm, I'm thinking, let's make change. And you probably want to, I'm trying to make this assumption. You want to make that change too. You don't want that to happen to anyone, mm-hmm. you, people you're related to people you're not related to that are in a similar case. What is your approach to meeting people where they are? Like, yes, we can, we, we'd love to have the conversation with people that already see eye to eye with, with right. you or with myself. What about those people? What is your approach to meeting those people where they are to, to begin having this conversation? Do you have a tactic for that? Um, that's a really good question. So this is something that I'll be navigating a little bit with my new position with the Maple Leafs. Um, I'm player development for equity, diversity, and inclusion. And not just player development, but that's also with the staff. Um, it's tied into um, sort of a bigger MLSE picture as well. But in dealing with certain reluctancies or hesitancies for people to like understand, um, my approach is, or will be, but right now is, is really just, it's about kind of two things. One is normalizing the conversation. So right away, this isn't a comfortable conversation for everyone to have. And I get that. It's not perhaps easy for someone in a position of privilege to be spoken to or told like, here's why you have privilege and everything, you know, your life has been easier. And this is why things are unfair to everyone who's not like you. It's not so much coming from that angle, but first of all, just trying to normalize the conversation. So it's not this big, scary topic. You have any question you want to ask me about race, by all means, bring it on. I'll just sit here, have a cup of coffee and just chat. It doesn't need to be big and scary. It doesn't need to be, you know, I'm talking to my bank finance, you know, advisor. And this is like, I'm sitting me down. He's going to, spank me on my bottom for like what I've been my spending. No, this is just straight up. Someone's just trying to help you is all like, that's all friendly. Cool. You don't have to agree with me. But beyond that, I would say really showing different, highlighting different perspectives. So what I would say, um, even to say a group of hockey players who maybe are thinking, I don't, you know, I don't know why I need this. This doesn't align with one of my thoughts. I would just highlight, has anyone ever felt uncomfortable? Has anyone ever felt unwanted? So let's say you were traveling in Spain and you went to a restaurant and you don't speak their language and you felt like people are immediately staring at you because you're the only white guy who showed up maybe or whatever, or you're wherever culture you're in. And you just like, I don't know, why are all these eyes on me? Like people are kind of like talking about me, laughing under their breath. Like I can't pronounce the words on the menu properly. Or maybe it was at a high school party or whatever it was. Maybe you weren't picked for this team. Everyone can associate the feeling of like, uh, I didn't really feel like that group welcomed me all that much right there. Now, speaking hockey player language, athlete language, imagine being in a locker room. Our most comfortable environment. <laughs> We're literally just like kids uh, in the locker room, just kicking it, chilling before practice, after practice, before whatever, you know, hanging out. Now, imagine that environment. You don't feel overly welcomed. 
like you're comfortable and you hang and everything, but like you can't actually be your real self because, well, if you're gay and there's homophobia flying around the room and homophobic words flying around the room, why at any point would you just be like, hey, by the way, guys, I have, I'm gay. I have this different sexual orientation. I, I identify as this. And daily when I hear those words, like it actually hurts. Like that's just, that's too much fear to like take that leap and confront the culture and system and be like, everything that you guys kind of do on the daily beats me down, but like, I'm too afraid to say it. So I'm just going to probably quit and not tell anybody and no different if you're black or if you're Jewish. I mean, in that light of pointing out different perspectives, imagine we all had this feeling, but imagine you felt it in the office where we're actually the most comfortable. Why at that point would you not, because we're all brothers, we have this camaraderie, we have this fraternity, we care for each other, we're family. Why wouldn't you help that dude out? Why wouldn't you create a space where the Russian kid doesn't feel you to feel so isolated. Why wouldn't you do it for the black kid? Why wouldn't you, you don't need to like be super woke and be asking like, Oh, I'm down for the cause. Like, what can I do to help? I mean, that's great too. But if you knew that a certain word was said from a fan or from media or a question, or just like, ah, well, that's cause you're black or whatever, just that little clip joke there. But what that might do to the person in their mind and beyond that, what that might do to others hearing it. So that might be a joke. I can handle it. No sweat. You're not going to offend me with saying that, but there might be a rookie on the team who hears that. And he's kind of thinking like, Oh, well, like when I'm home in the summer and I see this black dude that I'm cool with and you know, we are making jokes and I say something, I'll just say to him like, Oh, well, that's cause you're black. And you're just kind of creating this acceptance that like, this is okay. And it's just like how that then snowballs and snowballs and snowballs. It doesn't start with a racist act, but it just starts with, you're not understanding the power of your words so that those words now carry a certain weight. They may or may not hurt someone, but even like how they're now casually just going to be used in our conversation, in our locker room talk, that could really hurt somebody. And you're not even really understanding the power of the words behind what it is you're saying. Normalizing certain words is not good, but normalizing the conversation is great. So for me, the tactic, the approach, I know it's a long answer, but it would be just, again, pointing out and highlighting the different perspectives. If you can understand what I'm saying with this feeling of not feeling welcomed or accepted to the party, imagine what the black teammate is feeling in our locker room. And now that you know that, would you not try to do something to like welcome him in a bit more thinking like, damn, I didn't know that this dude who's got a smile on his face every day feels like he can't be himself around us. Let's, let's make this guy feel a bit better. To me, it seems like going back to the opportunity to challenge that person head on and I don't want to use the old school saying of taking the high road. It's taking a, a more efficient, calculated, uh, realistic approach and sustainable approach of let's actually allow these people to resonate with what's going on and feel a little bit of what you're feeling. And I think the examples you gave were, I know exactly, not exactly how you feel, but I know that example of sitting in a restaurant in Italy and I'm Italian and I felt so, mm -hmm. I'm trying to order food and I have no idea what's going on. So I'm not saying I can resonate with you, but I can resonate with that example big time. But exactly, but, but that's exactly it. It's 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 not about like you guys got to feel what we feel or anything like that. It's straight up. It's but it is about relatability. You know, like that's so much of it. I mean, even just being an athlete talking to like anyone's youth or the corporate world, in order for your message to connect, you got to be relatable, right? And I know you would know what that means. You have to be able to relate as far as have you ever felt felt like this? Well, me too. But here's what I've been able to do about it. That relatability and, and understanding the differences of perspectives for people 
is really just kind of what it is. It's how can I relate this message to my audience so that we can sit down and have a normal conversation at the table. It may take me literally facts on facts on facts for them to realize it. And they'll have arguments back. I'm like, well, you know, I didn't grow up with this either and this either. So how am I privileged? Hey, I get it. But I was a Toronto Maple Leaf cruising around with the Toronto Maple Leaf staff in my car with me and Toronto cops would roll up on us and be like, you know, they, they wouldn't, they wouldn't have done that. They don't do that to like any white hockey players. They didn't know I was a hockey player, but like that is a perfect example. It's like, that's a privilege I don't get to have just straight up being like left alone. I don't get that privilege. So it's, it's just being relatable and, and showing case, showcasing the different perspectives so that we can kind of be like, okay, I, I get it now. And to be honest, if you don't get it, I'll say a prayer for you, but like, that's not, and as far as hockey goes, that's not like who we want. You know what I mean? If, if that's the type of fan we're going to lose, <laughs> who cares? I don't want to be friends with someone who's like, after trying and trying and trying to showcase, just like, I'm not trying to say what you've been doing wrong. I'm just trying to show how we can be better. And they don't still get that. Then that's not part of the culture. I want to be a part of anyways. You, you make a great point. And it, it, uh, to take things to the behavioral health point of view too, as another example, and and the, the way people are behaving, um, you know, there's a point where not to be too Darwinian, but there's a point where you know one thing I'm trying to foster is these heroic traits, heroic identities, heroic values, and a heroic way of living. Which, you know, looking through history, you look through the most powerful narratives of our time, the stories that make the paper that are powerful. You know, you have these traits of of acceptance and. Uh, connectedness and altruism and love and all these different things that generally, so I can, I can see where it comes to a point where it's like, if I'll put a little bit of time in, but I can't fix everyone too. I, and I guess that's part of the conversation. No, exactly. But it's also not our job to fix everybody either. Like I'm here in a position where I'm choosing to do what I can do to help advance things, right? I want to make things better, but it's not also my responsibility to fix your problem. You know what I mean? Like if I'm the victim in a lot of, if we're just talking about like say racism or mistreatment of people of color, if I'm the victim, why is it my responsibility to fix everyone else's problem? You know what I mean? And, and at the same time, I want to contribute and help and grow. And that's something I'm passionate about doing now, but there's enough roadblocks on the way. You know, it's not the minority's job to fix the majority's problem. The majority has to help bring strength to the voice of the minorities shine some light on that i mean that's the only way it's going to happen because whether it's culturally speaking or focusing on like mental health stigmas or whatever it may be things have been how they've been for so long that that issue is still going to exist unless the majority reflects and is like okay i see we're doing things we could be doing things more efficiently or better you know, it's not, but the, the minorities with the megaphone, like that's been hundreds of years of that happening and, and clearly it's still going on. So, so show me how that's going to improve without the help from the masses. And it's not the, the little guy's job to fix the majority's issue. I, I'm 100% going to come back to that because um, there's someone I played with actually that, that had a story come out this year that I want to touch on in, in regards to the majority okay. um, and, and the minority that, 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 two-way relationship. But I wanted to ask, you brought up a point about the person that's like, I'm on board. What can I do? Stay woke, which is one of the terms you've used. Uh, I want to get involved. I want to do this. How can I help? What I, I don't, I don't know another word to use uh, right now. And I don't, it is, a, I don't really like the word, but the sense of pity, 
Um, but when someone is that much outwardly almost falsified kind of fabricated idea, what can I do to help on? Let's do this. Come on. Is it, how's that taken? And so like the position I'm in now with the Maple Leafs, I don't know anything. I've never had, <laughs> this is a brand new job. Like this is a corporate position. Like this is totally new for me. They might be looking at me as the expert, but like, I'm not the expert beyond my own knowledge. There's still a lot I have to learn myself, my own experiences. I don't know the experiences of what's happening right now with anti-Asian hate crimes and, and racism. I don't know what that, I can only speak on to my own truth. Um, what for, for the people who are kind of like, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? It has to have whatever action follows, there has to be intent behind it. So if you're going to throw something up on Instagram or Twitter or whatever, cool, great. I'll like it, but there needs to be some actionable and some intent afterwards, meaning help educate yourself. I got to do this myself. I can start, let's again, use the example of what's happening right now with uh, anti-Asian hate crimes, which has largely been growing during the pandemic too, of course. And very few people have been focusing or, on, or aware even of that. But so it's my responsibility to understand a little bit more about what's happening there. Um, perhaps chat with any Asian network friends or whatever that I may have. Understand some of their experiences, share some of mine, just do what I can do to gain more knowledge and understanding and being respectful of this now marginalized group that we're realizing for some reason is new that they're being marginalized too. And take it upon myself to get new education and understanding, but not in the sense of like, Hey, Asian friends, can you tell me what to do? Cause again, it's like not their, it's not their place to have to fix my unawareness, you know, like that's up to me to have to do. So anyone who's like, what can I do? What can I do? Um, it comes with like understanding. It comes with like, first of all, if you're actually going to be an ally for one, anytime you see anything happen, whether it's homophobic or racist or prejudice of whatever way, don't just witness it. Do so, say something, report it to HR, confront the person, confront the victim. And maybe if it's a boss and you don't want to, you know, you're terrified because it's your superior, go to the victim and say, you know what? I think that was BS, but I got you. You know, like that's, I saw what I saw. I heard what I heard. Like that's wasn't cool. And I'm don't know if this happens to you a lot, but now that I'm aware of it, I didn't, I want, you know, I didn't like that and I'll do what I can to like, make sure that doesn't happen to you again. Teach your kids, teach your family, teach your, grow your own home to have this new understanding and appreciation. Obviously, we all kind of taught for the most part, like to love each other, be nice to thy neighbor, all that type of stuff. But gain a new education, gain like, uh, it's not hard. Do a couple Google searches on the history of whatever to understand maybe that problem, how long it perhaps is going on for. Wow, there is some systemic uh, pillars that this has been built off of. So now I understand why a black guy in the hockey room is immediately walking into a situation where his blackness isn't allowed to shine because it's been built on a foundation of like, that's just unknown and foreign. So him walking in or she walking in immediately, they're not allowed to like be who they are inherently. So even just like having that understand, they don't, you don't need to be like, how many times have you been like called an N word in your experience? Tell me so I can understand. No, it's like, just understand that walking into a room where, the foundation of the industry has been built off of nobody like you, but 
your culture has a history in this game for 130 years. <laughs> like there was a Negro league in the Maritimes in, in, in Canada back in late 1800s. So like hockey and black people aren't new, but my point is, I guess a long winded answer again, it's, um, you know, taking upon yourself to get educated, but also, you know, if you put your money where your mouth is, you know, if you want to do something, find a, find a group you can donate to help give your volunteer your time to, it doesn't have to be monetary, but make some type of contribution so that it's actionable. It's not just a post. It's not just, Hey, that was BS. I'm here with you, but it's, if you actually want to claim that you're helping, then help. I, I, I love that. And the examples you gave that I really liked, which are the ones we have control over is our actions and our behaviors. And it comes back full circle to what you, you began with is that those actions will then create the safe place that some people in, in similar shoes to you uh, aren't, aren't experiencing that place where you can be yourself. And, and if someone taps you on the shoulder and says, hey, I, just so you know, I don't think that was right. And when you're alone, you're the only person thinking, hey, I wonder if that wasn't right. Was it right? And you have someone come tap you on the shoulder and provide that that support is is filling what you would, you know, talked about initially, which I think is is amazing. Um, I have a I again before I come back to the question I wanted to ask about the majority and minority is and this may come off as a silly question, uh, but there's also there's a site we all have different attributes as in our different, you know, cultures or races and where we're from and habits we have and what we do is, you know, teetering on the line of respect and disrespect. And I, I personally, and I, I, I'm so curious on your opinion. I personally see value in my, my peers or, or, uh, whether it was coworkers, teammates that have different traits, whether due to their culture or not, that I wanted to point out because they value them and it's awesome. And and play, people I played with, um, you know, how do you bring? Do you even bring those up, or do we just have to ignore it? Like you know, there are certain skills or certain characteristics um, that make a certain race or or culture cool and awesome and interesting. Um, how do we tear on the line of of bringing in, you know bringing that up and talking about it and showing our appreciation? without zeroing them out as they're different because of it. Right. Well, I think what you're asking is is like, how do we shine a light more on our own uniqueness on this group's uniqueness versus this group's uniqueness versus that group's uniqueness. Um, And I mean, that, that, that is kind of the approach it's, it's um, whether again, it's Asian culture, East Indian culture, um, Judaism, black cult, whatever it is, there's like, obviously there's, there's a lot of beauty in, in all these different cultures and just straight up in, in like white Anglo culture too, you know, like there's a lot of beauty in that, but it's, it's looking at something again, from the perspective of like, this might be foreign to me, but it's normal for them. And then if there's any type of nuance in there, that's like, actually, and that's kind of cool, you know, like, I, I spoke to, um, I spoke to actually just yesterday, an Asian Uber driver, and he told me, you know, when he was a kid, he moved here when he was 11 from Vietnam, and when he was eating lunch at school, everyone's like, "Oh, gross! What is that?" And then fast forward, people are like, "Oh, I love Vietnamese food," you know, and it's kind of like why would you not accept it in the first place just because it was different? So we all are different and that's good. It's ridiculous. If you're building a hockey team or any team, 
do you want all the same type of player? You know what I mean? Like, so if that theory makes sense in like business and like sports and everything else in life, why would we not look around and be like, oh, diversity actually might help. Diversity is cool. Diversity is needed. Diversity brings different perspectives again. So it's, it's finding ways to highlight the, the, the differences, the uniqueness again, that we all have is actually a good thing. You know, there's a lot of West Indies culture, like Jamaican culture. You know, you walk into your house, like you greet the parents. You don't just like walk in and like go run upstairs and like play PlayStation with your boy. You like walk in and say, like, good afternoon, Mrs. Fraser or whatever. You know what I mean? And that's like an amazing thing. But like the other, just because your culture doesn't have that doesn't mean like, oh man, I got to say hi. No, like this is normal. It's nice. It's friendly. Right. You know what I mean? Like there's shine a light on, on, on that. Because again, you don't, you don't have to adopt that. We don't have to like, well, now I raise my family with like on, on Wednesdays, it's like our Asian day. And on Tuesdays, it's our, you know, Euro day. Like, no, that's ridiculous. It's just about appreciating what's normal for other people. It's just straight up normal. If you're born in a different hemisphere, different country, different whatever, like it would be normal for you too. So it's really just highlighting uniqueness in our own, again, I'm going to say the word, but our own perspectives and just being like, that's cool. I never thought of that because I didn't grow up in a country or a city or a place that put value on that particular asset or, or characteristic or, or thought. But now that you say that, I'm picturing ways that I can adapt that in my own life or my own culture. You know, and like, why wouldn't, you, again, anyone who's well-read knows that it's like, we're just gaining new knowledge. We just want to like better ourselves and learn as much as we can. So why wouldn't you do that with different people as well? <laughs> you know, that's straight up all it is. You don't have to be afraid, but we're a lot of us, we're afraid of what we don't know. So it's kind of, again, just building up that familiarity, not looking at like an East Indian group and being like, oh, weird. There's East Indians in the hockey room. But instead of just looking and being like, oh, what's up, man? And just kind of realizing like that that's normal because they're probably born in Canada and maybe they offer some type of a unique experience because as first generation, you know, Canadians, they probably have some pretty cool, unique perspectives, even just in and around the game of hockey and maybe how they haven't been at all accepted in it, but like their kids desperately want to play. Right. So they're like, they love it. But, you know, so just that perspective alone can teach the people that they work with inside, like, huh, I never in my entire adult life have ever thought of that, but I appreciate now showing this colleague pointing that out to me because now I can teach my children that same valued message because my kids are going to go to school and play with a whole bunch of different minorities of kids, but maybe they won't have them on their hockey team. So it's important for us, my child, to still see the value in people's uniqueness and the different skills or, or characteristics they bring. You put that in such a, a good way. I if I had to couple it all together, it'd be almost a, a healthy curiosity. I mean, you put it in a better way, but if I had to. No, no, that's a great way to look at it. It's a health and it should be a healthy curiosity. Again, it's when we want to gain knowledge and grow ourselves. Why wouldn't you want to continue to grow your mind? Mm -hmm. That doesn't necessarily come from having to read like a thousand books. I can just be having a conversation with somebody understanding that's, that's it. You don't even need to agree with what their perspective is, but just the fact that you can acknowledge that it's different than yours it helps. So I, I, I was lucky enough to play with Justin Bailey, and I don't know if you both had, have ever crossed paths. I played against him, yeah. Okay, okay. So amazing guy. We we got along great in in Kitchener, and uh, nice to see him continuing to do well. And and I've actually haven't circled back with him on this. I saw it in an article the other day. Um, he's actually an individual when this whole thing happened. I I was trying to okay, I'm going to go educate myself. So I've got a question I asked him that I'm going to ask you. But first off, the article said. It was 
Robin Leonard, when when people were taking a knee during the anthem in in the U.S. and in Canada, and Robin Leonard said to Justin, he said, "Hey, if you're going to do, if you're going to take a knee in the upcoming game, I just wanted to let you know that I I'm willing to take a knee with you." Robin Leonard, being a white man, uh, I wondered what what that what comes to mind for you when you see that you know coming back to this majority chipping in as well, and it's not the minority's job to change. Uh, the thoughts of the majority. Uh, yeah, what what comes to mind, and and is that something that is you think is a healthy approach to this, especially when it's an outwardly powerful statement such as taking a knee? Yeah, I per- I personally love that. Um, you know, and land where you want while on the hall taking a knee during the national anthem. I mean, it's certainly not a political statement, and it's certainly not anti you know country or military or anything like that. It's anti found perhaps a country who's foundationally been built on racism. <laughs> but beyond that, it's not anti anything systemically other than that. Um, so that's like the whole taking a knee stance. But then from the perspective, from my perspective as a black hockey player and having a white athlete or teammate come up and say that to me, I think it's dope. It's um, it shows it's allyship. You know, it shows having that, having a teammate at that level understand to the degree where it's like i care enough about what your culture is experiencing right now that i'm willing to make a a very mind you a very peaceful statement that might you know burn down bridges for myself and people are going to start hating me for doing it that is that's awesome in my opinion that that is during the height of black lives matter after george floyd's murder after all this you know, people are making their statement, the league's making their statements, whatever. Everyone's is making a statement. <clears throat> the ones that impacted me the most, the ones that actually brought me to tears, and I'm a guy who fought hockey players for a living, the one that brought me to tears, or some of them, were guys like Blake Wheeler, or my old teammate Ben Scribbins, um, Connor Carrick. These guys didn't just say like, I stand with and I, you know, I'm against racism, whatever, and you can kind of like get through the, yeah, whatever they had like more to say they had like more like this is bs i have i'm going to educate myself and my family like i i think this is completely unacceptable and change needs to happen and to hear like those genuine sentiments coming from my peers who i've sat in the locker room looked around the entire room for my whole career for the most part except for a couple years in new jersey and just been like, man, there's not a single guy in this room who I could like open up to about this because they just like, they're not going to get it. And therefore I don't have a voice. I can't say what I want to say because I can't be me because no one's actually going to like, look at my audience. No one's going to understand where I'm coming from. So just don't. So we, we me and the brothers talk about it. Like when we have our powwows in the summertime or whatever, and we're all saying the exact same thing, having the exact same experiences, but just that like, either not having a voice or that kind of loneliness or, or, you know, just again, being in a comfortable situation, but feeling uncomfortable, it changes that. It's now like, wow, there's teammates of mine who are very much, you know, we're all privileged, but have had totally privileged lives, perhaps compared to the minority athlete who are willing to say things that they know a lot of their fans and some of their bosses and some of their teammates even are going to take offense to the allyship they're showing, but they're still willing to take that leap for my sake. That is, that's huge. 
that's exactly again what we need from the majority is is if you can't be as upset about what's happening then things just aren't going to change because being minorities means that we don't have enough strength on our own <laughs> to do this just on a numbers base we need help in that sense so so i i love i props you know robin leonard for that because again having that like especially in hockey like having that white allyship just means so much because if there's only in the nhl like 30 something black people or or players or or you know players of color out of i don't know what the number is but like what seven nine hundred like athletes you know what i mean like that's how how are they actually going to change without the help from their white peers so that type of sentiment, whether it's kneeling, whatever it is, whether it's marching in a parade, whether who, whatever it is, it's huge for me to see uh, and very appreciative for me to see my my white hockey peers um, voice that sentiment. Because anytime I say anything on my social feeds, I either lose followers or get a bunch of hate mail back. And all I'm doing is straight up speaking my truth. So I understand the fear of like taking that leap, but you know, it's, it's appreciated when you see a white guy do it. Totally. And on, and on that note, it's a very, I mean, it's a heroic thing on both sides. I mean, for you as the minority to speak up, but then also the majority, you know, the, a, a quote I continue to hang on, and this is from a completely different context, but I think it relates is, uh, you know, is, is being willing to chase something you care about so much that even if you fail and there's, and there's risk involved, that's, you know, that's truly living. And, mm-hmm. and it just goes to show, like you said, the individuals that, I mean, I think Colin Kaepernick is probably the most uh, popular example of willing to risk it, risk it all, or risk certain things um, for to change something that you care so much about. I think that's a, a powerful yeah. way to look at it. Um, so, what I asked Justin Bailey in, in that in a conversation a few weeks ago was when we see articles in the in the paper that say the first black blank in this organization, the first black so-and-so in this organization. Uh, I asked, I, and I prefaced the question to, to Justin, I said, you know, do you agree with that, that we need to keep saying the first black X in whatever role, you know, CEO or coach or trainer or whatever. And the, the only reason I ask is I remember a long time ago, and I think he, he actually got some flack for this was Morgan Freeman said, you know, if you want to fix it, you know, stop talking about it. If you want to fix racism, stop talking about it. And so I'm, that's based on nothing other than my own assumptions and, and mm-hmm. curiosities. But that's why I asked Justin the question. So I, I ask you the same thing is, is that still needed or will it, or if, or if a black person becomes the first black person in a certain position, they don't say that. They just say, you know what, first CEO or first trainer, first coach in this league. Right. Like, I, I don't know. It, you, they just say it's any other coach. This person's hired. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. That, that's a good question too. Um, I love Morgan, Morgan Freeman. Uh, that's my boy, but uh, <laughs> I definitely didn't or don't agree with like, I, I kind of know what he's saying, but I don't agree with the approach of like, we'll just stop talking, stop talking about certain things. Yeah. Like you don't, if you, cause that's what will normalize. Stop having to be like, Oh, it happened. And like, just kind of make it normal. I get that approach, but. Mm-hmm. And he received some flack for it too, because I think you're, you're clearing up what he's had to clear up since saying that as well. Yeah. It's like, you can't not talk about racism because then that's literally what we've been doing to just, uh, that enables it, right? Like if you don't shine a light on something bad, then the bad is going to continue to happen. That's just normal, right? It needs to be confronted. It needs to actually be defeated or challenged or whatever. Um, But when it comes to like the first, this, the first, that, 
That's something that I kind of go both sides on because I, again, I totally agree that it should just kind of be normalized. So it's just like Florida Panthers hire a new assistant general manager, so-and-so. However, if that was a title, I might not know that that was a brother. I like now knowing that there was a brother who's the first assistant general manager hiring the NHL. And I want to be able to sort of identify that because maybe the first this, the first that, the second and third and fourth, we probably don't need to maybe know because maybe by then it's normalized. But I also don't mind seeing it as like the first black player to do this, the first black GM or coach to do this because it's also a milestone. It's also for me in like the timeline of hockey and minorities in hockey, it's a new post on that timeline to be like accomplishment was made. Now, 20 years down the road, let's see what more changes can come. So further as things go on, yeah, we don't need to keep acknowledging it because then that will be normalized. Then it'll be like, no, it's just another GM, black GM. Why are we highlighting this? There's like eight of them now, you know, like at that point. But for now, I don't mind seeing the first whatever, because if anything, it's shining a light on the fact that this hasn't happened before, which maybe will bring a realization like, damn, this hasn't happened before. Let's start to grow that. So that's how maybe, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's still positives in, 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 in showing that on speaking on it in that way. Uh, so last but not least, as we're starting to wind down here, an absolutely fully loaded question for you that I, I didn't yeah. warn you about at all. So here we go. So uh, Shanahan said when you, you know, when this came out of your position, uh, Mark will work hand in hand with our players and within our organization and community to help make hockey a more inclusive and welcoming place for all. My question to you is, what is your plan to go about doing this? You know, even tactically where your first steps, you know, and how far along are you in this? And and I'll, I'll let you take this to the finish line is, is yeah, your excitement, your plans, what, what, what's next for you with the Leafs organization and a, and a huge opportunity here that, that is in front of you. Um, yeah. Uh, another good question. I, um, so short term, I mean, there right now, it's just me kind of, learning the business brand new department brand new position so just kind of learning the process of cross-functional work with different departments how we as a equity diversity and inclusion team can help the different departments of the organization throughout mlse as well to build that growth and inclusion in the game and in the team itself and in the community so still figuring out the process and kind of strategy there while getting some direction from the MLSE strategy, but basically, so I don't necessarily have a tactical approach how I'd want to do it, but what I'd want to do across those channels is create an education, a training, um, and kind of normalizing again, the conversation for players, excuse me, and staff. So that again, they're gaining that appreciation for new perspectives through whether that's through personal testimonies, uh, through workshops, through different trainings, whatever that may be. I have a lot of different ideas of how you can kind of like paint this picture for them. Um, but just growing that converse, that, that normalizing conversation so that when I am posted up in the lounge, just having a cup of coffee and the guys walk in and they have a question, like last week, um, Myers Leonard from the Miami Heat uh, is temporarily or um, indefinitely or whatever removed from the team because of these anti-Semitic comments he made. 
while live streaming Twitch on Twitch. I don't even know what that last part of that sentence means, but he was gaming basically. And I had a couple of guys ask me about that, but have that, that exact thing. Let it be normal enough. So if you're like, I don't, I don't know what the word was that he said. I don't, what's the meaning behind it. Uh, if I'm asked by a media member, like, what should I say? That type of just normal, hey, come hit me with that. Cause let's have, we can have that conversation. It doesn't need to be big and scary. We can just talk about that type of thing. Um, so under having the group as a whole, as a team, understand this new education and just fill them without blasting them, but like filling their appetite so that they can digest it. What growth should be looking like and inclusion should be looking like in the locker room so that we provide for our fans, for everyone, a more welcoming environment. Same thing goes with the staff. And then in the community, trying to reach as many new minority communities and demographics throughout the GTA to, again, allow hockey to kind of like hit their palate too. When a new Asian family walks into a minor league hockey arena, there's very, there's nothing that really says, welcome Asian family. Every like poster or billboard or whatever, it's all the same demographic being highlighted, right? So how do we kind of allow that to be a safe and friendly environment so they can walk into this building and be like, oh, yeah, we need to get down with this culture because there's a lot of great characteristics that come from sports and hockey, right? From leadership, communication, work ethic, resiliency, all these various things. So my approach with the youth is, is again, being myself, the physical manifestation that if you look like me, you absolutely can do this, start to highlight and grow hopefully opportunities throughout, not just as a player evolving, but as a scout, as a trainer, as coaches, as future management, start providing opportunities to, to grow and to, and to see, and to see that representation and identification. So much of it is a representation. So starting to just change our, our fan policy, a culture. When you, when I was drafted to the New Jersey Devils, and I have only a minute here, you have to be like be clean shaven and haircut. That was Lou Lamarillo. That's just like the culture. It doesn't matter if you're a 35 year old vet with four kids or the 18 year old prospect rookie who's as green as can be. There's just an acceptance of like this is the culture. So same type of thing. Saying that if you're no new draft pick or you're a new signing from the Maple Leafs, this is part of the package. We need this base understanding that this is the message we deliver. This is the belief we believe in. Look around. You're going to see multiple different faces, but eventually you're not going to double take when you see a West Indian face or uh, an East Indian face in the locker room. It's just going to be normalized. You're going to understand it. You're going to, it's just going to be inherently taught. And now we can build advocacy. So as we go into our community or talk to the media or whatever direction we're going, it's known that we all have the same message. We all have the same brand and we're all preaching the same growth internally and externally. Um, so that's kind of in a vague way what, what I'm, one of my hopes are, are doing in, in, in my new position with the Leafs. I just want to conclude in saying this whole conversation was such, and I know listeners are going to hear and see this and feel it as well, that you are the perfect person for this job. You're the warmth and optimism and insight and welcoming feeling that, that you bring to this is like, to be honest, I'm thinking, shoot, I wish we had another hour, two hours to talk because I learned so much <laughs> and I, and I feel so good after talking with you. And, and also beyond that, learn actual real tangible tools I can go act out in, in society and in my circles today. So continue. I'm, I look forward to following along and, and thank you so much for your time today. This is amazing. Appreciate it, man. Thanks so much for having me on, Ben. 
That brings us to the end of another Heroic Minds podcast. If you want to keep the conversation going, my email is always in the description of these episodes. And further, if you want to support the Heroic Minds podcast and support in sharing this message of living a purpose-driven, high-performing, resilient life, check out the shopping page. Maybe grab a hat, a t-shirt, a hoodie. I will leave that up to you. I'm Ben Finelli. This is the Heroic Minds podcast. We'll talk again soon.